Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of the 365 Amazing Women podcast. The last three episodes have formed a trilogy of conversation with people located in my home city of Hull. Today's episode takes us away from the Humber and north to the Northumberland coast. The journey we're on relates, tragically, to the story of one of the amazing women we're discussing in today's episode, Grace Darling. On the 5th of September, 1838, the paddle steamer Forfarshire set out from Hull, heading north to Dundee. Sadly, the ship never reached its destination. In today's episode, we're looking at the disaster which struck the ship on 7th September around the Farne Islands off the coast of Northumberland. The guest on this episode is Kirsty Watts, Visitor Services Assistant at the RNLI Grace Darling Museum. My mother's family were lighthouse people in Scotland. They oh, were Northern okay. Lighthouse oh, Board. Wow. And her name was actually Mary Grace. Because, what do you call daughters who are born on lighthouses? And she wasn't, but her great-grandmother or something That was. connection yeah, was there. Exactly, yeah. the Grace Darling connection was there. So I think I've known the story all my life, which not everybody, it depends what, what age you are, what generation you are. I grew up in Hull, and mm. on the marina there, there is a blue there plaque. Is, yeah. And I saw that, you know, as a teenager, I think I first sort of came across that. But it wasn't until a few years ago when I actually was visiting Northumberland and, and then we stumbled across the Grace Darling Museum, yeah. was blown away. And then the next year, my daughter was studying Grace Darling in, in the year one yeah. curriculum. And um, and people do keep popping back. This yeah. is the thing. Once yeah. they've found it, they go, even though it's we don't change things a lot. But I think it's maybe it's the boat, the cable or something, but yeah. people just pop back and yeah. pay their respects, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. is lovely. It yeah. is. I mean... We're going to talk about um, a few women today, I think, um, or, or a group of women, and, and obviously we're going to talk about Grace Darling. Um, so are you happy to give a sort of general overview of, of her, her story? Yeah. She was born, and this is interesting, she was actually born in 1815, so she's not a Victorian. Right. We think of her as Victorian, and obviously the rescue was two years, I think, after Victoria came yeah. to the throne. But she was very much adopted by the Victorians. But if you think, she was born in the year of Waterloo. So she's that younger or earlier group of people. Lighthouse Keeper's daughter, brought up on lighthouses mainly. She was born in Bamborough, three doors away from the museum. It was her grandfather's house. Mm -hmm. And he was a gardener for Bamborough Castle. I think it was probably pure chance she was born in Bamborough. A lot of the children were born out on Brownsman, where the earlier lighthouse yeah. was. And we have birth certificates of her brothers and sisters being born out in the okay. cottage on Brownsman, which is tiny. Her father's father had come down from Scotland, and her father as well, actually, to a neighbouring small town. And then her grandpa, her paternal grandpa, got the job of being lighthouse keeper on Brownsman Island, on the lighthouse there. And her father then took on the job. Um, her mother's family were very Bamborough, were very much more um, land-based. As I say, her grandfather on the other side was the gardener for the castle. Mm. And Grace was born here in the village, christened at the church across the road at St Aidan's, yeah. taken out to the farms, we think at about three weeks. Right, wow. And basically lived her life out on those lines. Yeah. 
So she would, she knew them? That, she knew yeah. them intimately. Then when the new lighthouse was built, the tall Longston as yeah. we know it, Grace was 10 and they moved out to Longston. By then there were really only four, well no, Thomas and her elder sister would have probably moved to the mainland by then. So there were really only three children living still at home when they moved into the tower light on Longston. And um, things changed, I think, quite a lot for her then. I mean, Brownsman Island, there is soil. They had gardens on Brownsman, they kept sheep and chickens, I think. Longston, it's not the kind of tower light that is straight out of the sea, but it is on a rock, it's yeah. rock around it. It's pretty tough out there, mm. and it's further out to sea. William, her father, had been amongst the people who had said, we need a taller, brighter, further out light to keep the farm safe. Because farms are, I mean, look at the list of shipwrecks. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah. You know, um, really dodgy bit of coast. Mm. And um, the safer they could make it. And this Longston was built. It was also the great era of building yeah. lighthouses. Fab yeah. technology. I mean, the technology on the lights themselves. And the use of reflectors. Yeah. And, mirrors and lenses, you know, to throw the light out, yeah. so yes. Lots of advancements came together to... Just to, bang, yes. Yeah, yeah. And of course, although this was a Trinity house, that is an English light, but think of the work of the lighthouse Stevenson's, Robert Louis mm. Stevenson's family. And, you know, they were really looking at how you build lighthouses and yeah. how you make them work. So they moved out there. Now, the interesting thing, I think, and lots of people don't sort of get this, is that in those days a lighthouse was run by a family. Even, you know, the really scary ones. Mm. I mean, when Wolf Rock, which is sort of just where the Atlantic comes into okay. the channel, yeah. um, quite near Ediston, when that, the first, that was first lit and first operational, it was a family who went out there. You know, it was run by the whole family. Mm. So Grace would have had lighthouse duties as well as domestic duties. Um, on Longston, yeah. and that was normal. And it was later when the three-keeper system came in and it all became very male and, you know, you were first two keepers and then eventually Trinity House went to three. A family running a lighthouse was yeah. normal in Grace's time. So it's a vocation, isn't it, it I is. guess, for the whole family? For the whole if, if family, if the, if yeah. The, if, in her case, if the father is the lighthouse keeper, really, the whole family is... Pitch in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they took watches. Yeah. So, you know, because someone had to be awake all night, or people had to be available. So they, you know, they would take a watch and Grace would take a watch. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the 365 Amazing Women podcast. There's more in a minute. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Visit 365amazingwomen.com. The other thing is that she, she was known to be a really good rower. Um, and I imagine she will have taken an oar from the time she was big enough to sit on Dad's knee or yeah. Brother's knee and put two hands on the oar, you know. Yeah. Um, but when they moved to Longston, they continued to garden and to keep the sheep on Brownsman Island. Okay. Slightly further oh, so in. They would have to. So you'd be back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, you wanted a cabbage or some leeks yeah. or, you know, you. And I think they also kept goats, so presumably they were milking goats. So, yes, she would have been a very, very accomplished woman. Is this part of the reason, do you think, that she became this sort of um, 
what we call Victorian heroine later. Yes, I think her slight stature, the fact that she was called Grace Darling. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect name. What a name! Isn't it? I think that's the thing for me about the, the story. It, it is almost like you couldn't write it. All these perfect, just it. chance just, um, events, yeah. the name, um, just the just the lighthouse as a in literature, just as a as a metaphor, as a. But I mean, the, the Virginia Woolf novel to the lighthouse, so just, it's yeah. all there in the background, and it's yeah. the ebb and flow of life. Just yes. that is, yeah. it all and just the comes together. Of safety, you yeah. know, and, and yes, yeah, it it does all come together, and then of course, tragically, yeah, the fact that she died four years after the rescue, yeah. and that I think. I mean, if she'd gone on and had nine children like her mother did, we don't know. No. But she, she was well-educated. She was. They were all, well, mainly all home-educated. Yeah. Her mother, who we know very little about, I think was redoubtable. I think she's a woman I would love to find more out. We mm. won't, I don't think. No. She was older than William, and everyone made this big thing that, you know, she had married this older woman. She was very short, quite dumpy. A lot of the portraits of Thomasin or the sketches of Thomasin are incredibly unflattering. Mm. But she brought nine children up to adulthood yeah. on rocky islands. Just amazing. And one of Grace's brothers died young, but on the whole, you know. They all went on. They went yeah. all, you know. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and this is at a period where infant mortality was horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, I think you had something like a... 60% chance of hitting your yeah. first birthday. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. You know, it, so it yeah. was absolutely, and this woman kept them fed, kept them healthy, kept the household running. In a dangerous environment. In a really you know, that's, scary that's, yeah, environment, It's not yes. just uh, your no, normal I, life, is it? So. No, I mean, I think Bransman was a little more civilised. She never, she didn't have tiny children at Bransman, but when they were out there, she tethered the toddlers wow. because otherwise they'd be in yeah. and drowned and the toddlers would be tethered so they could go out to play. Yeah. Um, and on Longston, if the wind and tide were wrong, the water would come straight through the bottom floor of the lighthouse, which is where the, the, the living room was, and put out the range. So you were then cold and unable to cook. Mm. And she dealt with all this. Yeah. Extraordinary. It's, it's amazing. And, and we know so little about no, it. No, and I think one of the things that... Oh, I mean, in a moment, if you don't mind, if we can just run mm. through the events of the rescue. Yeah. But one yeah, of the sorry. things that... No, but one of the things that I'm really happy to talk about her mother about is when I looked at the story, we talk about the rescue and you talk about her and her father going out. And that is, you know, the, the big heroic moment. And yet there's also the bit where Grace and her mother are caring for the the people that they've rescued, like that's still part of the rescue, isn't it? it? Is. And I think Absolutely. it can easily be yes. overlooked. And so, yes. yeah. um, and also the fact that they were all stuck there for three days. Yeah. yeah. So it would be Thomason who would have all the worry about it. Will there be enough to eat fresh water? Yeah. yeah. Fresh water on lighthouses is scarce. Very yeah. difficult because yes, you can collect rainwater, but of course you've got huge seeds, so it's salt anyway. Yeah. And of course you've got birds, so you've got, Bird poo through everything. So quite what they did for that, with that many people in the lighthouse, yeah. I just have no idea. Um, did they have enough food supplies? Could she just get them dried out and warm? Yeah, yeah all, all of this Dealing is, with yeah. all of that, yeah. and I'm sure that was very, that would totally be her realm. She'd yeah, get on absolutely. and do that, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so just to kind of um, run through it, so the, the, the ship... The forfeiture set off from 
hull, we're pretty sure with Dodgy Boiler. Captain Humble, who was the captain, will have been under intense pressure for that paddle steamer to make that trip. Well, the Fourth was actually built in Dundee and ran from Hull to Dundee. And back again, obviously. Mm. Um, it set off, and certainly the inquiry that was held after the wreck identified that the boilers were not right. From the beginning? Right from the beginning. Yeah. And I, there may have been a bodged repair. Okay. But the, it was a very prestigious vessel. We occasionally get people into the museum who think it was sort of a tramp steamer. No. Yeah, no. It was bang on, state of the art. And there were quite high profile Very on high board, profile yeah. people on board. It had some cargo on board. Um, and then, of course, you know, the normal sort of compliments yeah. of second class and steerage yeah. passengers. And we think there were 63, 64 people on board. They didn't keep manifest like we do mm. now. Um, it came past the Farns on the safe route up and then lost steam power right. at St, about around St Abbs Head, which is just across the border into Scotland. Yeah. It's blowing a horrific north-northeasterly. They set storm sails, which shredded. Um, if you look at the portraits of, yeah. of the Fisher, it did have masts, but not like a tall ship. No. But it gave you a bit. But, of course, they've lost all... Yeah rudder power, all those things have gone with the steam and got blown back. The other thing about a paddle steamer is it's got the big paddle boxes which of course catch the wind. Yeah. And we just don't know if they mistook the light of inner fan, which is the other lighthouse on the fans, which is right in on the edge of what was the safe passage then. Um for Longston or I think basically they were just out of control. Yeah. They'd lost all control of the vessel and struck Big Harker Rock um, in the late, well, late evening of, of this September night. Um, and the ship broke immediately in half. Nine people, nine men got away in a ship's lifeboat, eight crew and one passenger. And they eventually were picked up and, and rescued. Um, and the rest were either immediately drowned, including Captain Humble and his wife mm. were both drowned, um, or were left clinging to the main remains of the Forfisher and to the rock itself. And they actually made their way more onto the rock, try and get, I think, imagine the whole wreck would have been moving. It was a huge chunk of ship that was left on there. In the end, it was actually auctioned off for salvage. Oh. So there was half a ship stuck on this rock, and these nine survivors. Um, Grace was on watch, so again, going back to it, it was her job. Mm. She was on watch, and first of all realised that she could see from her window, or from the lantern, we don't know. But first, as the light gradually began to come, she saw the wreck, and then she realised there were survivors. And that was the sort of, the moment. There were yeah. people clinging to this rock in continuing storm. And there's a there's a legend that Grace persuaded her father that they would go out and see if they could rescue yeah. them. Her father's account is really interesting and I find, it tells me a lot about their relationship. Um, he, uh, he says throughout, we yeah. decided. Yeah. We thought that we would yeah. be able to help. We also thought that the North Sunderland lifeboat, in the conditions 
pertaining that morning would not make it out to Launceston or not make it in time. So it was their decision. So, and it's very interesting because William very much, I think, was quite patriarchal. I mean, mm. he did all the educating of the children. Yeah. He was extremely literate, extremely bright. Um, and it was, it was and, a very and, patriarchal and society. A patriarchal yeah. society. But he says throughout we, and yeah. I think he probably also means Grace's mother because she had to go... Right, fine, you know, you two are going to leave me on my own in this lighthouse. I've no idea if she knew how to mm. relight it the next night if yeah. they didn't make it back. But the decision was made because they were pretty sure the lifeboat wouldn't make it. Yeah. And the Cobal was launched by the three of them. And it is then said again, that it's, is this legend, is this right, that Thomason then went back up to the lantern and swooned. Well, my view of Thomason is actually she probably didn't, but I no. bet she was worried sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they took, they waited for the tide to be at the lowest possible point at the ebb. They took this long route in order to get maximum shelter from the rocks and yeah, the other islands. Yeah. I mean, they're hardly islands, they're rocks. Yeah. So they would be sheltered to the maximum. But, and this is another of the interesting bits about the story, they knew... William would, I think both of them knew, but William certainly knew, that there's no way they could bring the Cobal back, the boat back, without there being survivors with the strength and energy left to, to, row. to help them to row back. Yeah, yeah. And these are people who've been clinging to a rock all night. Yeah. In soaked through, frozen. Yeah. And they knew that they would not make it back because by then they would be, the tide would have changed, but also they would be going into the wind. Yeah. yeah. So... They did know that there had to be, they would have to do that. And also, I mean, Grace and her father, normally in those sort of conditions, that Cobal would really take three people to row it. And um, now William had been involved in much worse rescues. He said so himself, mm. particularly one out on a slightly further out rock with his sons a couple of years before. But he did say it was the worst moment in his life when he had to step out of the Cobal and leave Grace to hold it. Yeah. Grace had lost it then. A, or everyone would have been dead that was yeah. involved in, in, you know, those on the rock and her and her father. Secondly, that light would maybe not have been lit yeah. the next night. Yeah. And what was the implications yeah, for yeah. shipping? I just don't know. She doesn't describe how she held the boat. She doesn't describe if she used two oars, if she simply fended it off. If she um, won or and we, we just don't know, but mm. she managed to hold she that did. boat close enough to eventually get the survivors in, but to keep it safe and not wreck mm. it on the rock. So again, incredibly skilled. Yeah, amazing. Just knowing what you're knowing. doing. I, I, yeah, and, just, you, and it's huge. It is, just I looking mean, at the enormous. boat, yeah. I mean, you, for one just, person to for, hold For one that. 21 foot six. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this is, uh, just to describe it for anyone who's not sure, it, it is a, a wooden open top. It is a wooden rowing boat. Yeah. Um, it is bigger than I ever imagined it was. I mean, you know, it's not enormous, but it, it is too it's too big for one person, isn't it? And you kind of um yeah. but she, she managed to do that. She managed to do it. And um it's sort of too big for one person and too small for the conditions that they know they yeah, used it yeah. in. There's the other bit of go, but it's too little, how do they keep this little yeah. cocker shell wooden boat afloat? But she did. Yeah. And and that's the sort of amazing moment and they took five survivors in the first trip. William was pretty sure he couldn't they wouldn't manage all nine, yeah. including 
a badly injured man and um, Sarah Dawson, Mrs Dawson, who tragically her children had died on the rock, they didn't make it through the night. Um, and they brought them back and then, and this is really awful, we don't know the names of the mm. people who did the double trip. Yeah. Two members of the Four Fisher crew rode back. Grace didn't re row back, I think she was taken up with a, a seriously injured, um, I think he was a passenger, but also with Mrs Dawson. Yeah. And then they did another trip back for the rest. Yeah. And back again. So they yeah. did it three times, Absolutely having climbed to a amazing. rock. She did describe the rescue. She described it in letters. She got masses of letters, yeah. letters from all over the country. And she was very good about replying. And she she says I little I thought I little thought but to exert myself to the uttermost. And then she describes what I think you can only describe as flashbacks. She says I still see the flying waves and yeah. and I think it must have been a just pure determination that yeah. these people are not going to die on this rock. She received the gold medal from she and and her father from the Royal Humane Society. And then she received the silver medal from what is now the Royal National Lifeboat Institute. Um, and so did her father. And she was the first woman to receive a medal for saving lives at sea and became extraordinarily famous. I mean, again, it was picked up very quickly by the papers. And you can see by some of the memorabilia that yeah. just mugs, teapots, um, yes, towels, yes. all yeah. kinds of things, yeah. even today. But, you know, the, the, yes. the Victorian yeah. stuff is quite yeah, extraordinary, amazing. Yeah. Yes. And she did think that because everybody wanted a souvenir. Yeah. And she was wearing a blue and yellow striped dress during the rest yeah. Remember all this was done in a dress, yeah. a shawl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and that we only have fragments of. It was cut up and given away as souvenirs. Mm. And she also said she thought she was going to go bald oh, because gosh. everybody wanted a lock of hair. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, so, but she, she gave, and she was, I mean, Fated. The thing that they found, I think, hardest was people coming out and sort of gawping. And it must mm. have been terribly difficult. I mean, they ran trips. Yeah. Come and see the heroine of the Fern yeah. Islands, you know. Yeah. And it must have been terribly hard to deal with that. Yeah. Because um, there's no, there's no there's security, no, is there? There's it's no, no it's not a visitor centre. Exactly, it's, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you were going about your normal day-to-day yeah. -day work. And yeah suddenly this load of boatload of people would turn up. She died quite young. She died four years later. We think, we don't know, probably consumption, probably TB. It says consumption on the um, death certificate. Equally, there are medics who think it was actually probably pneumonia. Mm. She actually died in Bamborough. She died in her uncle's house. And she's buried here in the churchyard. Yeah. Yeah. And then the amazing sort of neo-Gothic memorial. Yeah. Yeah to her was put up by subscription. Queen Victoria subscribed to that um, another four years after her death, mm. so yes. Yeah. yeah. And who knows if she'd left? Yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. can't, you, you can imagine, but you yeah. can't as well. And, and it comes back to that whole idea of it, it could almost be a story. Do you exactly. know, this is it's the thing. Almost it's almost fictional, yeah, isn't it's, it? It's so amazing. And the, and the survival of the boat, of the Cobalt. Mm. I mean, um, that's extraordinary as well. And I think that must add to it. Yeah. I mean, that must add to the fact that the, the, the famous yeah. survived. And that was 
bought by a local gentleman um, about 20 years after, when it came out of lighthouse service. Yeah. I mean, it was just the lighthouse family car, really. Yeah. But it was valued and preserved, given to the RNLI in 1915. Mm. And then the big fundraise and the big um, push for a museum to be built so that it could be properly yeah. displayed. And also all this grace memorabilia, yeah, as you say, yeah. um, could be displayed, came in order that this should happen in 1938, 100 years after the rescue. Yeah. So there's been a museum on this site for 100 years, Which is, nearly yeah. 100 years. Yeah. But again, it's extraordinary, you yeah. know. We're open, well, it's always worth checking. We're, we're always open six days a week. We're open from about 10 till shorter hours. I mean, about half four in the winter, half five in the summer, yeah. you know. Um, well, five in the summer, sorry. Um, and... Um, Yes, we're, you know, check online, Yeah, give us a ring. And it's well worth a visit, I must... Um, it, it is, really the, I, I mean, I go in every day to unlock, and that cobalt still makes the yeah. hairs on the back yeah. of my neck stand yeah, up. Just, yeah, just it's the one of those yeah, is, museum is objects yeah. that you just go, wow. Thanks for listening to the 365 Amazing Women podcast. There's more in a minute. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher and tune in. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Visit 365amazingwomen.com But when I started thinking about this, the person who immediately sprang to mind was a woman called Dorothy Ellison. She's been dead for a few years now. She worked at the Rydell Folk Museum, which was the first museum I worked in, um, and had originally worked, well, done all sorts of things, but worked for the National Park in North Yorkshire. And she was one of those women who got on and did things. Um, she would never, I don't think, be celebrated particularly. She was, I think her job title was assistant curator at the Rydell Folk Museum. She was also very involved in tourist information mm -hmm. with that lot. Um, but she taught me just about everything I know about running a museum in terms of the front of house operation, interacting with the public, making the public welcome, um, interpreting the the displays and she I mean she was she'd been born she was a teenager during the Second World War. She remembers lived in Leicester and remembers being able to see Coventry burning. Mm. She, you know, um and then she'd been a Metren, but she was just someone who got on and did things and brilliant with people. And she eventually took on her last job at the Radelma Folk Museum in North Yorkshire was cataloguing the entire collection. And I'm not good at these sort of numbers, but it was 30,000 objects wow. that had never been properly catalogued. And she got down and did it. She did it with volunteers. Um, and then spent a lot of time sort of just tidying it up or, or more. Mm. Um, and she got the whole lot done so that the museum could go forward for accreditation. So that sort of woman, someone who, you know, she wasn't a curator, she wasn't, you know, big in the arts, but she just got the work done. She knew that collection inside out. Yeah. Also, she was she was very funny um, and, she, you know, extremely funny person, but took everything seriously, not solemnly, but seriously. Mm. So you did things right. Mm. And I learned so much from her. And then since I've come to work for the 
are in a life for the lifeboats. It's the women who do the fundraising, that keep the shops going, that put on the events. Um, and they're never going... I mean, they're celebrated, yes, but they're never going to become famous. No. But they're the ones that keep it going. You know, yeah. the volunteers who don't get into boats as opposed to... Yes, we have lots of women on crew. Fortunately, you know, more and more as time goes on. But the women who get on and bring in the money, yeah. make the contacts with the community, make the contacts with other people. Um, and again, on the historical side... Particularly, I think, in the Northeast and in the 19th and early 20th century, right into the 20th century, um, lifeboats were often launched by the women mm. Mm. and the launchers. Yeah. And there are some amazing photographs yeah. of, of women launchers. But, you know, the cry would go up, apparently, men to the boats, women to the ropes. And they literally waded out into the North Sea. Yeah. Then, they would stand, they would not go home, soaked through, like Grace was. They would stand and wait for the retrieve. It, it, it's, it's just amazing. It is amazing. So. And, and I think, it, just, just to, harking back a little bit to the Grace Darling story, what you're talking about for me really does link really nicely with that story. We mentioned about how, yes, yeah, she does get in the boat and she does go yeah. out, but then also she's coming back and she's doing... The, the work of caring for the people. Caring, there are yeah. two sides to that story, and there's two yeah. sides, more than two sides, but two many, very yes. obvious to, sides. To they the are one, in a light yeah, today, to, yeah, and, and without the money raised in yeah. the shops, um, yeah. you wouldn't be able to do it. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing. No, no. absolutely not. And and you know, putting on events and, as I say, networking and all the work they do. And it, it's, I'm not saying it's taken for granted. It isn't. But it's not, you're never going to get famous. No. You know, we don't take. Obviously, within the within the institute, yeah. but um, you know, often people who are not known, people who do the routine thing of, well, I'll do the banking mm. week after week after week, you know, yeah. get on and do it, and it's largely women. Yeah, even now, it's still yeah. women. So, yes, it's that. It's it's the women on of our volunteers here at the Grace Darling, who keep this place running. Yeah, and obviously we we live um, on an island, and yeah. there are. RNLI um, centres yeah. all around the country. How how can people that might be interested in volunteering get in, in any capacity? Exactly, because out? if you are coastal, go to your local lifeboat station, find out what's going on in the area. But don't think, I live in Derbyshire, mm -hmm. nothing's happening. Derbyshire is one of our biggest fundraising areas. Right. So go online, you'll find all the details of who's close to you, things that you can do, things you can get involved in or not, you know, see what's going on. But yeah, get on the, get on the web and it's all right. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Kirsty Watts for talking to me about Grace Darling, Dorothy Ellison and the many inspiring volunteers at the RNLI. Find out more about this amazing organisation at rnli.org. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who's taken the time to listen to the first five episodes of this podcast. Also, thank you to everyone who's emailed with suggestions for future guests and subjects. It's really appreciated. I'm Adam Ditchburn, and I'll be back next time.